So how does a person end two and a half years of ministry? What do I say? I mean, what, what sermon do I preach? A few of you have suggested to me that I should give some parting advice. You know, some final words of challenge based upon my years in your midst. But as I thought about it, that didn't feel quite right. Because if there's anything I want to say personally as I leave, it's thank you. I mean, thank you to our Father in Heaven for giving me the incredible privilege of ministering in this great church. And thank you for welcoming us so warmly, for receiving my ministry such as it is so genuinely, for, for giving your hearts to us and inviting us into your life. And as I, I said in the parting letter which was sent out to people on our mailing list, I mean, Cindy and I really are leaving a piece of our hearts here in Boston. We will miss this church, we will miss you, and we will be praying for you. But that's not the message that I want to leave ringing in your ears. Because in the end of the day, it's not really about me. And it's not about you. It's about him. And so in this final message, in this last sermon I preach in our series on the Psalms, I want to take you to the very end of that collection of holy songs. And I'd like to invite you to hear afresh the Word of God. So, so if you haven't opened your Bibles, please do. Open them up to the end of the Psalter. And I want to draw your attention in, in particular, to one word. One word which is repeated over and over again. One word which serves as the central theme of everything that is said and sung at the end of this holy book. What word? Do you know? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord in your English version, but in the Hebrew text, the word is hallelujah. Hallelujah, praise Yah, Yahweh, the one and only God, the Holy One of Israel and the church. So look with me at Psalm 146, because I'm going to take you through the last five Psalms. Really, I'm going to do that. Look at Psalm 146, verse 1. And notice how it begins. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will hallel. Praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to God as long as I live. And then notice how that psalm ends. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And then Psalm 47 begins the way Psalm 146 ended. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I mean, how good it is to sing praise to our God. How pleasant and fitting to praise Him. And then after praising Him for 19 verses, Psalm 147 ends in verse 20 with hallelujah. 
Praise the Lord. And then, then comes Psalm 148. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights above. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens. And then turning his attention from the highest heavens, the, the psalmist then calls upon all the creatures of the earth to join in this song of praise. You great sea creatures and all the ocean depths, lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his bidding, you mountains and hills, fruit trees and cedars, wild animals and cattle and every flying bird, kings of the earth and mighty nations, you princes and rulers, young men and maidens, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah you got it. And then hallelujah, Psalm 149 echoes. And hallelujah is what that psalm ends with. I mean, it's, it's beginning to sound like that childhood chorus some of us sang growing up in church. Do you remember it? Praise ye the Lord, hallelujah. Praise ye the Lord, hallelujah. And when we'd sing praise ye the Lord, this side would stand up and sing praise ye the Lord. And then they'd sit down and you'd stand up and sing hallelujah. And then praise ye the Lord, hallelujah. And everybody stand up and sing praise ye the Lord. Well, I thought I might try that. But Nathan said, no, no, let, let, let's not. But finally we come to Psalm 150. That, that final word in this grand and glorious collection of songs that has shaped the life and the worship of the people of God for countless generations. And it begins, surprise, surprise, with hallelujah, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. And, and how do we do that? How do we praise the Lord? Well, praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with harp and lyre. Praise him with tambourine and dancing. You know, maybe we should try that sometime. We, we just had the tambourine. I, I don't think we did the dancing. But praise him with strings and flute. Praise him with clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I mean, could the Psalms be any more clear? I mean, could the Holy Spirit who, who has inspired these Psalms, has he left any doubt about what he want, how he wants these Psalms to end? Has he left any doubt about what word he wants to leave ringing in our ears? So that's the word. The last word I want you to hear me say in this pulpit. Hallelujah. 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 Because our great and awesome God, the Lord and King of all creation, is worthy of our highest praise. I mean, just, th just think about that scene in heaven in Revelation chapter 4. 
Those four amazing living creatures that I can hardly describe are before the throne and they never cease to cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. And as as they cry that song, then the 24 elders, the the leaders of the Old Testament and New Testament people of God, they, they fall on their faces before the crystal sea. And they cast their golden crowns at the foot of the throne. And they cry out, worthy, worthy, worthy art thou, our Lord and our God, to receive honor and glory and blessing and power. For you have created all things. And by your will, they were created and have their being. I mean, do you realize that that every breath we breathe Every good thing we will ever enjoy, every true thought we will ever think, comes down from the one that James calls the Father of lights, in whom there's not the slightest bit of a turning shadow, only light and life, and more light and life forever and ever and ever. I mean, God is worthy of our praise because he is the sovereign Lord and King of all creation. And God is worthy of our praise because he has become our savior. I mean, turn just one page in the book of Revelation from from the scene in chapter four to the scene in chapter five and listen to the angels sing. John describes them as 10,000 times 10,000 and they're crying out worthy Worthy, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength, honor and glory and praise. For with your blood, you have purchased for God men from every tongue and tribe and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests for our God and they will reign on this earth. And, and as, the, as the angels sing this song, then, then scripture says that every creature in heaven and on the earth joined in the song and they sang out to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever and ever. And then comes the hallelujah chorus. Well, actually, that's not quite true. I mean, if you know the book of Revelation, you know that the hallelujah chorus doesn't come in chapters four and five. I mean, actually it's delayed 14 more chapters until Revelation chapter 19. It's delayed until the very end of human history. When the great enemy of God, the Antichrist, is about to be defeated by the king of kings who comes riding into history on a great white horse. And Babylon, the seat of the enemy's power, has just been destroyed. And if you will, as as its fires rise to heaven, as the end is about to come, the apostle John pauses in Revelation chapter 19. And he takes us back up into heaven. As far as I can tell, to finish the song that was begun in chapters four and five. And he writes, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven, shouting hallelujah, 
salvation and glory and power belong to our God. And again they shouted, hallelujah. And then the 24 elders and those four living creatures we were introduced to in chapters 4 and 5, they fall on their faces again, and they too cry, Amen, Hallelujah. And then John writes, a voice came from the throne, saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both great and small. And then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, 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 for the Lord God the Almighty reigns. And we hear the echo of Handel's Messiah. But do you understand? I mean, do you understand what is happening here in Revelation and what it means? I mean, the promises of God are about to be fulfilled in human history. All of them. Because Jesus, the Messiah, is coming again. With the voice of the archangel and the final blast of the trumpet of God. And he is bringing God's kingdom to this earth. And when Jesus comes in power with his angels, sin and death and the devil will finally be fully and completely destroyed. And every mountain that has ever been raised up in opposition to God's goodwill will be laid low. And every valley of oppression and injustice of sin and death will be raised up. And on that day, the people of God and the company of heaven will not be able to contain their joy. I mean, there, there will be such an explosion of praise that the universe will shake. But between the fifth chapter of Revelation and the 19th chapter of Revelation, the Hallelujah Chorus, lie more than 2,000 years of human history. 2,000 years of trials and tribulations. 2,000 years of suffering and pain. 2,000 years of crying out to God for help. 2,000 years of crying for Jesus, the Messiah, to come again. Do you remember how the Psalms begin? I mean, after the two opening Psalms, I mean, Psalms one and two, which stand like great pillars and create an entranceway into the hymn book of God's people. But, but do you remember the theme of Psalms three, four, and five? And do you remember the one word summary of the Psalms, which I offered to you at the beginning of our study? Actually, I, I borrowed it from Dr. David Dorsey, a superb Old Testament scholar. And he thought the best one-word summary of the Psalms was help. But because the Psalms are a continual cry for help, a cry from the poor and the needy, a cry from the guilty and oppressed, a cry for justice and salvation, a cry for deliverance from evil and for the forgiveness of sins. And it's, it's because they are a cry for help that, that they can minister to us so deeply. 
because they teach us how to be honest. I mean, honest with God and honest with ourselves. I mean, they give us permission to cry out in the midst of our own confusion and pain and to place our problems squarely on the shoulders of the only one who is able to bear the weight of our problems. And they reveal the faith of men and women who lived in the real world with, with, with a real faith in a real God. A world in which sometimes young men are hit so hard, they experience a life-altering brain trauma. A world in which wives and mothers, husbands and fathers die too soon and leave their grieving families behind. A world in which people let you down. Your friends even betray you. A world in which justice is not always served and where good and truth do not always triumph. And it's in that world that the psalmist cry out over and over again, help! But they also sing hallelujah. So I don't think a one-word summary of the psalms will ever do. I mean, yes, the Psalms teach us how to cry for help, but, but they also teach us to sing hallelujah. In fact, I would suggest to you that help and hallelujah are the warp and woof of the Psalms of God because help and hallelujah are the warp and woof of the life of the people of God on this earth. I mean, when we sing hallelujah, when we praise God, what are we doing? Well, among other things, are we not saying we believe? I mean, we believe this is who God is. We believe that this is what God has done. And therefore, we believe that this is what God will do because of who he is and what he has done. See, praise is an act of faith. An act of faith that happens in between, in between what God has done and what God promises to do. In between God creating all things bright and beautiful and God finally making all things new. I mean, in between God the Son coming to, to die for our sins and God the Son coming to rule and to reign. And by ending with that undeniable, unforgettable, almost ecstatic explosion of hallelujah, the Psalms is making a statement of faith. And for those of us who know how the story ends, the Psalms are pointing to Revelation 19, 20, 21, and 22. And they're saying, in effect, this is how it ends. This is where we are going. This is who our God is. Hallelujah, hallelujah. The Lord, the God Almighty reigns. And, and by singing hallelujah, the Psalms invite us to pay attention. And in paying attention to transform our present day experience. I, I, I received a poem this week from a member of our church. It's entitled Awe, as in awesome. 
or awestruck. It is a daily battle, one that is free of physical weapons, political parties, and national boundaries. It is a battle that has been raging since the garden and will not stop until the war is finally won. The battle is not fought between people. It is fought within people. It is a much greater danger to each of us than war between nations will ever be. It is a battle of all. We were created to live in a real, heart-gripping, agenda-setting, behavior-forming awe of God. But other awes kidnap our hearts. Awe of creation, awe of other people, and awe of ourselves shove the awe of God out of our hearts. So we need grace to see again, to tremble again, and to bow down again at the feet of the one who deserves our all. You see, praise is not just an act of faith. Praise is also an exercise in focusing our attention upon the one who deserves our deepest awe. I mean, we, we, we believe God is good, don't we? I mean, gloriously good and the giver of all good things. And we believe God is glorious and God is good and God is giving good things all of the time. But we're not always paying attention. We're not focused on who God is or what God has done or what God has promised to do or even what God is doing right now. I mean, we're distracted. Other awes kidnap our hearts and minds. Other thoughts, other passions which rob us of our deepest joy and peace. Now, I know many of you have been meditating on the Psalms this fall as we preach through them. And I hope if you have, you've noticed a pattern in some of those Psalms, actually in many of them. I mean, the Psalms are not just composed of some songs which cry help and some songs which cry hallelujah. No, in many of the Psalms, help and hallelujah are interwoven. I mean, the psalm may begin with praise, but, but then it moves to a, to a heartfelt cry for salvation. Or it begins with a cry for help and it finally rises to a crescendo of hallelujah. In fact, in many of the psalms, you can almost feel the psalmist working his way through the confusion, the pain, the, the difficulty of life, working his way through to hope and, and confidence and finally praising the Lord. And I dare say, singing praises to our God is one of the best ways to work through our pain and confusion. At least that's, that's been my experience. I mean, countless are the times in the sanctuary of God, in a service of worship, when my eyes have been opened or my wounded heart healed, 
or my spirit lifted through worship in word and spirit. And, and, it's, and it's, not just in, it's not just in the sanctuary, but, but in my prayer closet, alone with God, working through my journal, or out walking in God's good creation when suddenly the, the eyes of my heart are opened and I see him. But, but, but it has to be real. It, it, it must arise out of a real experience of the reality of God. I mean, to praise something or someone. Well, what is it? Is it not to express our satisfaction in them? In their beauty, their, their goodness, or their truth? I mean, we can praise a meal or the person who made it. We can, we can praise an athlete or a book or a child. I mean, we can praise anyone or anything that gives us a, a, a true, deep pleasure that, that, it, that enables us to experience some manner of goodness, beauty, or truth. But, but think about this. When you praise something, when you express your satisfaction in it, do, do you realize that that act actually enhances your pleasure? I mean, it allows you to, to savor it, to, to hold on to it, and to share it. You say, oh, oh, this meal is, is so good. And you say it in the presence of the one who made it. Or this mountain, these mountains. I mean, they are majestic. I can't even put in words what they do to my soul. You say that to those you've been backpacking with. And as you say those words, or as you write a poem, or as you sing a song to express those thoughts, what you're doing is you're holding on to them. You're, you're savoring the experience of them, and you're inviting others to join you in that experience. Because if there's anything better than experiencing a pleasure, it's, it's experiencing that pleasure with the people you love. So when we praise God, we are savoring the pleasure of who he is and what he has done. And we're sharing the joy of it with each other and with him. So when the psalmist says, praise the Lord, praise him in his sanctuary, praise him with trumpets and strings, praise him with tambourines and, and dancing, but what he's doing is inviting us into his joy. He's inviting us to focus our attention on the goodness and the glory of God. To meditate. To contemplate. To taste and see that the Lord is good. And as we taste and see the goodness of the Lord, to be so filled with the pleasure of his goodness, his beauty, and his truth, that, that we just must burst forth in song. See, praise is not a duty to perform. It's a delight to experience. But, but it often requires a shift in our attention so that we can see what is always there. So, so could I invite you this Advent season 
to shift your attention, to, to make a conscious effort to praise God. And when you see a nativity, for example, and you'll see many, take, take some time to notice how every eye in that scene is turned toward Jesus. And then do the same. Contemplate the beauty, the, the wonder, the goodness of the incarnation of God. And then say, Hallelujah. Or, or when you see an angel, you know, a decoration of some sort, stop. Turn your mind to the angels' songs in the book of Luke or in the book of Revelation. Think about them in your mind. Perhaps even sing, Gloria in excelsis Deo. And then say, Hallelujah. In other words, using the words of, uh, of Paul in Philippians, rejoice in the Lord. And again I say it, rejoice. And, and, and whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or worthy of praise, Paul says in Philippians 4, think on these things and then say, hallelujah. As Rich Mullins, one of my favorite songwriters, sings in one of his songs, and, it, and it's a song which I've been known to kind of put on the stereo and turn up so loud that it act, you can feel it in your chest when everyone else is gone. In, in one of his songs, he, he says, you'll never know how much good it's going to do you just to praise the Lord. 1,600 years ago, St. Augustine wrote a book, a great book, which is still in print. I mean, try that, writing a book that'll still be in print 1,600 years from now. It's now entitled The Confessions of St. Augustine. And it's the story of his journey to God and to a life, it's a testimony to a life of deep satisfaction in him. And it begins with these now famous words. Great are thou, O Lord, and greatly to be praised. Great is your power and your wisdom is infinite. You alone would man praise, man but a particle of your creation, man that bears about him his mortality, the witness to his sin. Yet you awaken us to delight in your praise, for you made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in thee. And later in the book, Augustine confesses, Late have I loved you, beauty so ancient and so new. Late have I loved you. You were with me, but I was not with you. Upon the shapely things you have made, I rushed headlong, misshapen. They held me back from you. Those things which would have no being were they not in you. You called, shouted, broke through my deafness. You flared, blazed, banished my blindness. You, you lavished your fragrance. I gasped, and now I pant for you. I tasted you, and I hunger and thirst. You touched me, and I burn for your presence. I mean, what is the chief end of humankind? I mean, why, why were we made? 
Where are we headed? What is it that will fulfill our sense of purpose and destiny and give us our deepest and greatest sense of satisfaction? Well, the Westminster Shorter Catechism has said it so well. It will be to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. To live one great and glorious, eternal hallelujah in the company of the people of God, in the presence of the glory of God forever and ever, and to leave our cries for help far, far behind as we sing hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen.